Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Federalist Society's section on property rights and environmental laws, discussion of property rights in America today. Uh, it's a pleasure seeing everybody here. I just want to do a quick announcement that if anybody from the society is interested in joining the executive committee or learning more about it, there will be a meeting upstairs after the session here in the Madison Room. I promise that I'm going to have no virtue in what I do today. I was asked to be a moderator, and I've never been called moderate before. So I had to look that up and see what that means. And I remember Barry Goldwater said that defensive liberty, uh, moderation in the defensive liberty is no virtue, so I will be moderate and I will not be virtuous. Uh, I'm going to give a quick introduction to the topic of property rights and the debate over property rights. And then I'm going to introduce the speakers, sit down, and we're going to go into their opening remarks from the podium. And some I will answer questions in, of the two distinguished gentlemen here today. And then we'll open up to questions at the end and, and promptly at 1 o'clock. So my point was that the debate over property rights is certainly of long standing. And I'm going to give you some Quotes, not in any particular order, that take both sides, because I'm trying to be moderate, on property rights. So I'll start with John Adams, who said that the moment the idea is admitted into society that property is not as sacred as the laws of God and that there is not a force of law and public justice to protect it, anarchy and tyranny commence. Um, on the other hand, Paul Proudhon said property is theft in 1840. George Bernard Shaw said that a government who robs Peter to pay Paul can always depend on the support of Paul. <laughs> John Locke said that whenever legislators endeavor to take away and destroy the property of the people, they put themselves into a state of war with the people who are thereupon absolved from any further obedience. Thomas Hobbes, on the other hand, said it is necessary to lay down this right to all things that people would otherwise have and be contented with as much liberty against other men as uh, he would allow men against himself. Uh, Joseph Story, Supreme Court Justice, said that the sacred rights of property are to be guarded at every point. I call them sacred because if they are unprotected, all rights will become worthless and visionary. Uh, James Madison said that when an excess of power prevails, the property of no sort is duly respected. No man is safe in his opinions. And we can go to uh, my next quote here is, is actually from one of our uh, guests. Uh, Stephen Reinhardt said in a William O. Douglas lecture back about seven years ago, there are exceptions, of course, to the Supreme Court's preference for the interests of the state over the rights of its citizens. First and foremost, the court is protective of the right to property and indeed generally appears to be far more concerned about that right than it does to the right of liberty. Um, Al Gore said that the environmental problems of our society are the consequence of too much protection given to individual and property rights. William Blackstone, there is nothing which so generally strikes the imagination and engages the affections of mankind as the right of property, or that sole and despotic dominion which one man claims and exercises over the external things of the world, to the total exclusion of the rights of any individual in our universe. Uh, Richard Lazarus, Professor Richard Lazarus, who has argued on a number of cases at the Supreme Court uh, on behalf of governments, 
writes, on the other hand, that nor does the court today appreciate that over the past century, our relationship to the land has fundamentally changed. Law is now a highly regulated commodity, and the ownership is no longer a touchstone of human autonomy or the source of individual freedom. Um, Helen Caldicott, uh, formerly of Union of Concerned Scientists, said that free enterprise really means that the rich get richer. They have the freedom to exploit and psychologically rape their fellow human beings in the process. Uh, and I will close uh, with, excuse me, I get this here. Uh, just a couple more. Um, freedom and property rights are inseparable. You cannot have one without the other. That's George Washington. Um, but I will leave you with Jean-Jacques Rousseau, who in a treatise talking about the understanding at that time of the origins of property rights, there was the idea at one time of early society of mankind, there were no property rights, and that evolved into something that we now know as property. Uh, he said... What crimes, wars, murders, and miseries, and honors, and horrors would the human race have been spared it had someone pulled up the stakes and filled in the ditch and cried out to his fellow man, Do not believe in this imposter. You are lost if you forget that the fruits of the earth belong to all and the earth to no one. You'd never hear me say that again. Um, but I want to introduce our speakers right now because we have two uh, very distinguished guests with us today. Uh, we have Honorable Stephen Reinhardt on my left, really. Uh, Stephen Reinhardt is a graduate of Yale Law School and Panoma College. He was appointed to the bench in 1980 by President Carter. Uh, he's published numerous articles in various topics relating to the law. Uh, following his graduation, he was a lieutenant in the United States Air Force. Uh, he has some reputation of being somewhat liberal in the court. California lawyer recently had a cover story, an article about him titled The Last Liberal. Um, and this is on this introduction. I hope you won't be offended if I read this. But James Dobson called him the most notorious liberal judge in the most radical court of America. That, of course, is our Ninth Circuit. I prefer to call it the most interesting of the circuits. And I mean interesting in the concept of the Chinese curse. May you live in an interesting circuit. <laughs> judge Alex Kaczynski, to my right, uh, is now the chief judge of the interesting circuit. And he was uh, appointed in the 1985 by President Reagan. He had graduated from UCLA, received his B.A. in 1972 and his J.D. in 1975. Prior to being on the appellate bench, he had a number of uh, appointments and, and offices in the Reagan White House. He was an attorney in Covington and Burling, no relation, uh, and he is... Um, was a clerk to Chief Justice Berger and Judge Anthony M. Kennedy. And with no further ado, we'll begin with the uh, justices giving some, brief, some uh, brief remarks, and then we'll have some questions from me and then questions from the audience. Thank you, Jim. I'm right here. Good afternoon. Great pleasure to be here. Uh, what, a, what a great convention it's been. Um, well, I'm a little, it's sort of surprising that we are having this kind of debate, uh, but uh, I think it's a good, good um, point as well. Uh, the question of whether or not property rights are individual rights or whether they are somehow 
separate from life and liberty. Uh, uh, it really is a question that probably could only come up in America. Uh, in other places in the world, uh, those of us born under communism, uh, those of us born under and have lived under uh, other systems of government, uh, where property is um, either severely limited by the government or, 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 uh, or practically non-existent, uh, you know, realize full well as a matter of daily life that you really can't have liberty. And in a real sense, you can't have life uh, without uh, property. Uh, we are not ethereal beings. We don't live from ideas alone. Uh, air can't feed us. Uh, we can't develop ourselves um, materially uh, or spiritually without the use of property. So the idea that, that, that uh, if you don't have control over the, your means of survival, if you don't have your control over your um, resources to help you get an education, to help you um, conduct your business, to help you live your life. If you don't have those things at your disposal, you really don't have freedom at all. You don't have any real rights. Uh, they are, you are then, your life is at the disposal of whoever does control those uh, things. And we, we take these things for granted in the United States. We live in a, uh, in a, in a blessed country uh, where um, it's second nature. It's like breathing. Only property is like breathing. It's 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 part of your birthright, and but it's a really a, a very precious right, and one that the founding fathers uh, uh, very well understood uh, was part of the concept of individual uh, liberty, individual autonomy, and and that's why they have provisions. You know, they have just as many provisions dealing with property. Uh, as they do having uh, dealing with, let's say, speech. Uh, and yet, as we know, um, uh, the courts, uh, and, and I have no problem with this, have created a huge edifice uh, dealing with uh, the right to speech, which I support. I think, I think speech is very important, having come from a place where speech as well as property was severely limited. I must tell you that, that I, I am greatly in favor of it. We have... Uh, uh, a clause, the, the religion clause of the Constitution, and uh, they, they, they are really no more expensive than what uh, the Constitution is about property. Uh, and yet we have a great edifice, uh, great edifices in the law dealing with protection of the right to religion and um, uh, the, the, the prohibiting the government from establishing religion. And for the most part, I support those. I think those are important. I mean, the right to worship, the right to, to have uh, a free relationship to one's God is, is, uh, is, uh, is fundamental to uh, human existence. Uh, but when it comes to property, uh, courts have been less generous. And this is, goes to a um, more fundamental criticism I have about uh, the way our approach to, to constitutional law, and that is that we take constitutional provision one at a time. We don't ever weigh them all at once. So we, we get a case involving speech, we get a case involving religion, we get a case involving property. Uh, but we never have to compare them one with other, and what that does is it gives judges uh, a chance to give uh, them to their own predilections. You know, judges like speech. 
conservative judges as well as liberal judges. You know, we are really uh, uh, very keen on speech. And so we have a great edifice supporting that. Uh, when it comes to rights of criminal defendants, which, again, I think are very important. I think any of us might uh, become a criminal defendant, uh, whether we do anything wrong or not. This is one of the great protections of a free society that they can't come after you the state can't come after you just because they don't like your face, unlike a lot of other places in the world. And judges have been very protective of that. But judges are not very protective of parts of the Constitution that they find, um, uh, find uh, unappealing. Uh, look at the neglected Second Amendment. Now, we may get a little more enlightenment on that score, but the Supreme Court hasn't looked at that, uh, has looked at it once, I believe, in, its, in our constitutional history. And judges just generally don't like the idea of guns. So, so we sort of pretend it's not there. Judge Reichen and I had, had public disagreements on this in case by the name of Silvera. Um, the, uh, and so property is another area where, where a lot of judges feel it's sort of a second-rate right. This is a kind of right that really is not very important. It's not on a par with life and liberty, which are sacred. Uh, and, um, the, you know, property case is, is okay to the extent that the state um, and the political branches of government wish to allow you, uh, allow you a, uh, um, an entitlement to it. And if, they, if, the, if the political branches uh, don't, the judiciary hasn't got much to say about it. Uh, I think that's wrong. I think, I think uh, the Constitution, we should not be playing favorites with constitutional provisions. And I particularly think that the, uh, the general judicial disdain to property rights is, is not justified. I don't think it's faithful to the constitutional scheme. Thank you. Judge Reinhardt. Judge Kaczynski says he's surprised we're having this debate. I'm not sure quite what debate we're having. Uh, Nobody is proposing to abolish private property. Uh, the question is, to what degree does property uh, exceed in importance rights to liberty or life or other rights? What we do in this country mainly is balance various rights when they come into conflict. Uh, it's very easy if there's no other interest other than property to protect property. It's very easy if there's no other interest uh, other than any amendment in the Constitution to say, yes, I'm for that amendment. The difficulty comes when rights come into conflict. Uh, before I get into that, I ought to say I am a great believer in that statement by Barry Goldwater. I think it's one of the great political statements of all time. I wish I could quote it, but it's something like liberty in the... Uh, Moderation in the pursuit of liberty is no virtue. Something in the pursuit of vice is no uh, extremist. Uh, it was made at the 1964 Republican Convention. And, and, you must have and him. I, I was listening. Uh, just as last night I was listening to the Democratic debate while you were all off at your dinner. Uh, uh, it was interesting in the debate because the moderator kept trying to get the candidates to, the, to say, uh, are you in favor of liberty over security? Well, that's a constant problem. Uh, and 
Judge, one of Judge Posner's recent book, he talks about why we should sacrifice liberty for security. Uh, and I think we can have liberty and security. I also think we can have property and other rights. But they sometimes come into conflict, which is when our problems arise. Uh, when, the, when the right to property comes in conflict with the public interest, uh, that's when the problem arises. I think it started at the very beginning of our Constitution, when the question was individual rights against property rights. And slavery won, because property rights were determined to be more important than human rights. That was wrong. It's hardly the only time people have had to give up certain property rights in order to have liberty. Now, whether all rights are equal is uh, an interesting question, which I've been debating with Judge Kaczynski uh, publicly and privately for years. Uh, yes, I do think that life and liberty are more important in the balance than property. Uh, I think that human rights uh, are more important than property rights. They're all in the same clause. But until I, my first uh, debate with Judge Kaczynski before a Federalist group, I wasn't aware there were people who thought that property was important as liberty or human life. Uh, I'm still not persuaded. Maybe it's because I didn't go to the gala. Uh, <laughs> But I'm still not persuaded that property is, is as important as human rights or life. Uh, I've seen this debate occur in, in, in the public interest, in the public wheel, uh, for many years. As I said the first time I was not around was when the, the property right to slaves was more important than the right of every human being to be treated as a human being. Uh, it then, uh, the next time I'm aware of that debate, uh, was when the New Deal came into being in this country. And the debate then was whether when you had minimum wage laws, laws to protect children, uh, all of the social welfare legislation of the New Deal, whether that was unconstitutional because it interfered with property rights. Well, fortunately, until recently, uh, the entire country, Republicans and Democrats and others, uh, understood that the social welfare legislation affording individuals the governmental protection that they needed was more important than the abstract concept of employers' rights to make children work 12 hours a day, pay them five cents an hour if they could get away with it, uh, that there was a reason for social legislation. You know, Ronald Reagan ran for office on the basis that he was like President Roosevelt, and that, that was his hero. Uh, well, I think Ronald Reagan understood the need for social welfare legislation. It's not until recently that those in power have begun to challenge that. But I saw civil rights legislation adopted in this country over the violent objections of conservatives who said it was an interference with property rights that you couldn't force, have legislation that said everyone had the right to equal access to hotels, uh, to lunch, lunch encounters. I saw people stand up uh, in the South defending property rights so that they could keep blacks out of their establishments. Well, that was the debate that went on at that time. Is it property or individual rights? 
So you have this debate occasionally in this country. And uh, frequently the answer is yes, individual rights are more important than property rights. Now, the idea is to try to accommodate all of those rights. The idea is to try to see that the entire Constitution is vindicated to the extent possible. But it's when those constitutional rights come into conflict that sometimes you have to balance them, sometimes make a choice. And I guess my disagreement with Judge Kaczynski is that you don't always try to, or you're not always capable of giving total abstract uh, predominance to every single right. It doesn't work. Uh, there, there come times when we have to balance, when we have to try to see that the most important interests are vindicated and protected in this country. And sometimes that means uh, that we will have to modify the extent to, to other rights and that they aren't just given total uh, protection uh, as if there were no other interests. We have a variety of interests in this country, people's interests, property's interests, uh, that all have to be balanced and harmonized, and at some times, some yield to others. Uh, incidentally, I, I, before I close the opening, I just wanted to say, despite that article in the uh, California Law Journal, I am not the last liberal. I'm the last, possibly the last liberal around at the moment, uh, but there will be a lot more liberals, I assure you, in the future. problem is talking about these things in the abstract. Uh, you know, uh, the, 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 this idea of balancing against other uh, um, uh, sort of other values, you know, it reminds me of a German saying, uh, which is, I think it's available in other languages, it's easy to pull hot chestnuts out of the fire with somebody else's hands. Uh, it, it, and it's easy to make decisions about public policy and to serve these other values so long as somebody else Pay for them, and you know, just bring it down to a concrete example. Take the case of Lucas uh, from the Supreme Court. Uh, this is the case you recall, where the guy owns a couple of pieces of property on the beachfront, and South Carolina says you can't build anything on them at all because we need this beachfront access, and it's an important public value. Now, you know, you, you can go on the land, you can sort of look. You, you're free to pay taxes. Thank you. Uh, uh, we, we don't have any problem with that. Um, you know, you, if you want to tell people you own the property, you can tell people you own the property. And, uh, you, you can take part of ownership, but you can't build anything on it. And he went all the way to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court says, well, when you take that much property, you know, you, you regulate the property, the state of South Carolina um, um, affected the taking, took the property, because basically what they were doing is they were taking it for public use. They were using it for the public to sort of have access to the beach. So it's as if they had bought the property and created the beach access. Well, um, they, uh, afterwards the case comes back and they do what's necessary and they pay Lucas. And now the state of South Carolina owns this property. And, of course, they say, well, now that we own this property, we'll provide it public access to everybody so they could, go, uh, you know, get to the beach, right? They say, no, wait a minute. This is really valuable beachfront property. <laughs> and they sell it to a developer. 
No joke. This is a true story. It's very easy to make these kind of decisions if you have the power to use somebody else's, uh, to, 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 to extract the value of somebody else's property, make public policy decisions, because there's almost nothing that isn't sort of a good deal uh, if you'd be willing to pay money for it, if you can get it for nothing. So, so there's no value, there's no public value that, that, that isn't readily served so long as the public needs to pay nothing for it, so long as the cost is imposed on individuals. And, and that's how these things usually come down. It's, it's, it's never a case uh, of, um, uh, uh, you know, oh, well, you know, we'll take your property or we'll take your life or we'll take your property or we'll stick you in jail. It is usually your property rights against some nebulous interest that uh, somebody on a city council or a state uh, someplace has decided is, you know, is very, very, very important. Not important enough to pay for it. You know, not important the way you decide in your life is important when you decide, am I going to go out and buy something? That kind of important. It is important like, gee, would it be nice to sort of break this window open in the store and take it home? <laughs> if you could do that, there'd be, you know, you know there'd be a lot more window shopping going on. <laughs> anyway. Thank you. Mr. Reinhardt, do you want to respond to that or should we move into the question? I thought we were just having opening statements. Yes. And then... Well, I, I, this was a rebuttal. A sui sponte rebuttal on who am I to stop a judge from talking? I've learned too long, I can't do that. So you can have a sui sponte rebuttal. No, no, no. We'll, we'll move on to your question. Okay. Uh, the first question is one that I've wanted to hear the answers to in a debate like this for about 17 years because it's, the basis is a 19. What, what's it worth to you? <laughs> Kidding. <laughs> and I've been waiting so long. Uh, a 1990 decision out of Lake Tahoe dealing with some property right issues up there. And it was a case where Judge Reinhardt wrote a majority opinion and Judge Kaczynski was on the dissent. And the particular passage. <laughs> particular passage gets to the question of want to know your the uh, panelists views of the relevance of the constitutional framers as opposed to our own views on the importance of property rights and the adjudication of property rights based cases and the quote is the framers of the fifth amendment saw the wisdom of enumerating life liberty and property separately and few of us would put equal value on the first and third so what, to what degree should originalism animate our discussion of property rights? Judge Reinhardt? Well, I don't have the benefit that Justice Scalia has of knowing what the original founders thought about everything. Uh, so I'm not in a position, really, to say uh, what they thought about these problems. I had thought that the Constitution was a series of general principles uh, that we were supposed to interpret over the years uh, as we learned more and more about society uh, and we learned more and more about human nature, that they were wise, wise enough to give us this set of principles uh, so that we could, with knowledge and the developments of life <clears throat> and science and the, the, the difference between the country as it was in 1789 and the country as it is today, that we have more knowledge, more experience, and that we could take those principles and apply them to today's problems. I didn't think that they thought they could solve all those problems for us in that time. 
But if I were to try to uh, determine what the founding fathers thought uh, about property, uh, I would have some difficulty. You read some quotes before. Uh, another quote about property from somebody I would think you would have uh, some respect for would be Thomas Jefferson, who wrote to James Madison, the laws of property have been so far extended as to violate natural right. The earth is given as a common stock for man to labor and live on. Now, I don't know what that means about how the founding fathers would decide the kinds of cases we have today, how they decide Penn Central or Loretto uh, or any of those cases. You know, I can get general concepts from some founding fathers. Thomas Jefferson disagreed with James Madison. Uh, how you find out what, it's not a single person. Uh, it's not like reading one of President Bush's signing statements. Uh, the founding fathers had a lot of different views, uh, particularly once you get beyond their saying, yes, property is important. Well, everybody would say that. Uh, when we get to the types of practical problems we have today, I don't think it's very easy to find out through original intent how the founding fathers would have addressed today's issues. Well, it's, it's funny, uh, I should mention Justice Scalia, because um, about 20 years ago, I was at a event, a uh, Federal Society event, and it was right before Justice Scalia was nominated to the Supreme Court. I think it may have been the very weekend before. Uh, the following week he was nominated to the Supreme Court, and he stood up and he gave a speech, and he said, um, I uh, want to speak uh, uh, against original intent. And the room fell silent. But he actually spent an entire speech speaking out against original intent. Uh, I don't know if Gene Myers in the audience uh, remembers that, but uh, I'm not sure many people here would be old enough to remember or, or would have been present. And he said, it's not intent, it's meaning. This is not an exercise in psychology or in, in historical psychology. We don't ask the question, what did Manson have in mind? What did Jefferson imagine about the Internet? Not that he had the Internet. <laughs> uh, you know, it, we, these would be meaningless questions. This is why we have a written constitution. We don't have to imagine what they thought. They wrote it down. <laughs> now, it is true, as Judge Reinhardt points out in Tahoe's here, and I didn't contradict him in my dissent, the statement that Jim quoted, because it was so, I thought it was so self-evidently um, disproving. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, uh, yes, the founding fathers enumerated life, liberty, and property separately, well, that's because we don't have an English word that ha means all three things. <laughs> and I don't know of any other way. Now, today you might have a hyperlink, you know, or something, to put them all in the same place or something, you know. But, but, but in those days, you had to, you know, write them one after the other. And usually when you wrote them one after the other in a series and you had an end connecting them, they, they meant that they sort of go together. You know, they, they are meant to be part of the same group, part of the same uh, uh, 
apply the same level of generality. So I, I'm not troubled by, by uh, questions about, you know, what would Madison think, you know, it's, uh, or what, what, what would, uh, uh, or, or um, gee, in which order were these things listed? The question, the question I ask is, was this, does the constitutional text, uh, 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 you know, as, uh, as, as illuminated by uh, some of the, 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 the papers that are available, uh, during the ratifying conventions, um, to some extent, uh, uh, that, you know, I'm not so much concerned. It seems to me with the drafters. It seems to me as, as important, or perhaps more important, is what was said about these provisions when the states ratified the Constitution. That that, that, that seems to me a, a far more significant source of uh, of enlightenment. But in the end, really, all that that ultimately matters is what they wrote down on paper and what they all agreed on. We, can, we cannot engage in, 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 uh, uh, in psychology in interpreting the Constitution any more than we can or should engage in psychology in, in interpreting uh, statutes. I mean, God only knows what Congress thinks, if it thinks at all. Uh, so, 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 so uh, you know, it, it, it seems to me that the fact that the Constitution refers to life, liberty, and property in one breath uh, suggests to me uh, that, that, that these are values that the Founding Fathers found to be both very important and also off, made of a, uh, the same timber. That there are aspects of human existence. You can't have one with it's not like love and marriage. You can't have one without the other. Well, there are two things to say about uh, Judge Kaczynski's rather simplistic presentation. Uh, number one, uh, merely because words are in the same document does not mean they are of equal importance. Uh, I'll give you I, the answer. I guess uh, I understand what Judge Kaczynski said. Is yes, they're in the same line, and therefore the same timber. He says. Well, that's the question. Is when they come in conflict, are, is there are they equally important? I already addressed whether I think when they come in conflict, they're equally important. Uh, the answer is no. Uh, the, I think we've had a, a history of times that they've come into conflict. Uh, that's the question. The other question is, he reads the Constitution. He says, and there's the answer. Well, what does the Constitution say about life, liberty, and property? You can't take them without due process of law. Well, do you read due process and you know what that means? What the Supreme Court said about 150 years later, they said, what is due process? They said, it's a process that is due. Well, that's a wonderful explanation. Uh, it doesn't get us much farther than what the uh, reading the document does. Reading the document doesn't answer the question. It doesn't tell you what due process is, which is the key. Uh, that's what we've been interpreting ever since. What kind of process is due and what is due process for life? What is due process for liberty? What is due process for property? Uh, we've had a changing view. At, well, previously, you didn't need a lawyer in a criminal case. We've said now that's not due process. People are entitled to lawyers. Uh, our, our concepts have changed. 
over the years. And fortunately, I think we've grown in our understanding. We didn't look at the Constitution and say, well, it was due process in 1789, so it's due process now. We didn't read it and say, well, everybody knows what due process means. That's a term that comes to have meaning as, as society changes, as society learns, as we have greater right and respect for the individual in this country. Uh, that's why, despite what Con Judge Kaczynski says, the founders, if they had an intent, did not intend us to apply a document. And they didn't try to spell out what due process meant. They didn't try to spell out what all of these basic rights meant because they understood that we would learn as a society grew. We would become better, we would improve ourselves, and we would have a better understanding of individual rights. We see there's some dispute on these federal judges on the role of property. I want to go to a specific question dealing with the role of the judiciary, and that is our constitutionally, protect, constitutionally based property rights, issues worthy of federal judicial involvement, or should such claims be heard only by state courts? Which one of you like to start? Well, I'm a great believer in the federal courts uh, for a number of reasons. I believe in life tenure, uh, <laughs> fortunately now. But uh, I believe in life tenure because it makes judges independent. Uh, it, it allows them to do what they think their duty requires them to do. Uh, I, I said a number of years ago in a speech to the Beverly Hills Bar uh, that I had talked to some southern judges, state court, Supreme Court justices, and they told me quite honestly that they didn't feel free to vote for a capital defendant uh, because they'd lose the next election. Uh, the, uh, you don't have that in the federal judiciary. Federal judges do what they believe to be right and what they believe their obligation is. We may differ on what we think our obligation is. We may differ on what we think is right. But I haven't met any judge in the federal courts who disregards his duty for any reason. Uh, I think everybody tries their best to do what their, what their oath mandates them to do. In the state courts, uh, some try, but... Uh, uh, and particularly in capital punishment cases. We had a Supreme Court justice in California who was an excellent justice uh, and highly respected by all sides. And he said deciding a capital punishment case is like you know, trying to ignore an alligator in the bathtub. You know, you try to put out of your mind the fact that you're going to come up for election. And you try to do your best, but never are you really without the political pressure that, uh, that, 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 that lies in the background when you decide these cases and when you know the law and order people are there watching you. And in uh, our courts, they were there for quite a while. It's not, not as much now. But even in the trial courts, they were there uh, taking score on the individual judges and how well they enforced law and order in their view. Uh, that's the problem you don't have. And that's why I, you know, I believe that federal courts are better able to protect uh, individual rights and property rights. Uh, now, uh, whether uh, property rights cases should 
are so important that they're entitled to uh, be in the federal courts when our Supreme Court uh, and Congress sometimes don't believe that uh, all cases should be in federal court and whether they're more important than criminal cases, uh, which uh, are very limited in federal courts. So I'm talking about state states case, cases where we are talking about state law. Now, property law is basically state law. And for that reason, the Supreme Court has said when you're talking about uh, takings by states and local entities, you should first let the state court uh, go through its uh, the state right. States interpret those those rulings, uh, whether a taking occurred, uh, whether there are exceptions, whether there are variations or variances. You should go through the entire process and then see if there is a state remedy, uh, whether the state provides uh, relief. And only then uh, should you come and answer the federal question. Well, what do they do in habeas cases? Uh, in habeas cases, they say uh, it doesn't matter whether the state action is unconstitutional. Uh, federal courts should give, uh, should, should ignore the violation of constitutional rights uh, unless two things. One, the Supreme Court has previously held a very similar act unconstitutional. If they haven't held it unconstitutional before, uh, then the fact that it is unconstitutional doesn't matter, and you recognize whatever the state has done. Secondly, they say, unless the state's unconstitutional action is unreasonable, if any you know, rational state judge could come to that conclusion, then you still defer to the state courts. Well, I don't think those advocates of property rights uh, uh, feel the same way about property. Uh, I, you know, as long as we have this kind of a view of people's constitutional rights who are being held in jail or executed unconstitutionally, I'm not sure we should prefer property rights over those individual rights. Personally, if I uh, had a choice, I'd like to see property rights as well as individual rights and human rights vindicated by the federal courts, regardless of what the state courts have done, as long as it's truly unconstitutional. Uh, I'd like to see equality among those rights. As long as we don't consider the individual rights of people to be worthy of full federal court protection, I'm not sure whether I would prefer property rights over that. Thank you. Well, you know, the, the reality is there's only one kind of federal right that can no longer be litigated in, 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 in federal court, and that's uh, a takings claim. Uh, you can raise any other constitutional claim, but a takings claim you simply cannot now get in federal court at all, not for a minute, not for an hour, not for subject to state preemption or anything else. It's very simple. In 1985, a uh, Supreme Court uh, uh, had a case by the name of Williamson County. And what they said was, what Judge Reinhardt said, uh, if you have a takings claim, you've got to go to state court and make sure that you don't get compensation from the state. Because if you get, if there's, if there's a regulation of the property, but the state will compensate you for it, of course there's no taking. The state hasn't taken your property. 
if it has a remedy uh, where you can go in and get paid. Make sense? Okay. Well, uh, 20 years later, in a case by the name of uh, uh, San Remo Hotel, they said, well, but while you're in state court, um, uh, you, gotta raise a, um, uh, you can raise a taking claim. State courts can consider federal claims just as well as, 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 uh, uh, as the state courts can and must consider federal taking claims just as well as, as, the, as the federal courts. And so while you are there, you can raise a taking claim. And, in fact, you must raise a taking claim because under the doctrine of collateral stop of most states, every state in the Union, in fact, if you could have raised a claim and failed to raise it, you can't then raise it in subsequent litigation. You can't then come to federal court and say, well, I litigated my state claims, the question of whether I get compensation, but I reserved my right to litigate the federal claim in federal court. Supreme Court said you can't do that. So you either litigate the federal claim in state, uh, in, 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 in state court, in the, which case you can never bring it in the federal court, or you don't litigate it in state court, in which case you can never bring it at all. So if there's one claim with one kind of federal right in the Constitution that you cannot, in fact, now bring in federal court as of 2005, it is a claim uh, for the taking of property. Uh, I, I, it's just a startling result, and uh, much as Judge Reinhardt complains about uh, uh, habeas and exhaustion and all those things, I mean, the fact is, if you're a prisoner and, uh, uh, and you complain that uh, you don't like the food in prison, you can bring a claim in federal court. If you think that your right to, to, to worship in prison wasn't properly observed, or you, you claim that you uh, were mistreated or anything of that sort, and I, I, I don't denigrate those claims. I think some of them are quite serious. Uh, you can definitely get into federal court. You complain about your conviction. You can get into federal court. You have to hurry about it. You have to, you have to exhaust your state claims. But ultimately, you will get federal judges looking at those claims. One claim you cannot get, and that is, that is, that is a takings claim under, after St. Reed. But at least that's the way I read the Supreme Court opinion. Well, there are two things I would disagree with Judge Kaczynski about. Number one, yes, you can get into federal court with a conviction if you hurry about it. But as I said, even if your conviction is unconstitutional, you can't get relief in the federal courts if it wasn't unconstitutional according to a direct Supreme Court decision at the time the unconstitutional action was taken. And two, you can't get relief if it was if the state court decision is unconstitutional, but a reasonable judge, whatever that means, could have made an unconstitutional decision. So you don't get relief for an unconstitutional conviction in federal court. Secondly, I just don't read San Remo uh, the way Judge Kaczynski does. Uh, you know, this shows how lawyers differ and why we keep going on with cases uh, that end up five to four. Uh, as I read San Remo, uh, the court said that the plaintiff didn't have to raise his federal claim in state court. It could have been preserved, but uh, they went beyond where they had to go, and if they had limited their claim, uh, they would have been able to go to federal court. Now, you know, we can pick sentences out of San Remo, uh, which may appear to contradict, but that's just the run-of-the-mill Supreme Court decision. Uh, in any event, uh, I don't give it the narrow preemptive reading that Judge Kaczynski did, and I don't think that was 
the intent of the majority. That's how Brother Willie Fletcher reads it. Well, uh, I don't always agree with Brother Willie Fletcher, I can tell you. At this point, I am going to stop my questioning, although I had a number of others, and ask for questions from the audience because you only have a few minutes left. And in the interest of time, I encourage all the very uh, brilliant lawyers and legal scholars out there to make these into questions, and a question does not mean a long speech followed by, would you comment on that, please? <laughs> Let's turn these into questions. Thank you. First. Uh, thanks. Ilya Shapiro from the Cato Institute. Judge Kaczynski, a couple of weeks ago when you had another debate on Federal Society debate on property rights, uh, you essentially read the first part of the takings clause as, as prefatory as the first part of the Second Amendment, and the only operative uh, clause, from understanding your argument, is the just compensation clause. How do you um, square that with what you've just said about the uh, importance of property rights and how they shouldn't be treated uh, as distinct from life, liberty, and, and the, the kind of bifurcation that, that Caroline Products created? Thank you. Just the same way I read the Second Amendment. I think the Second Amendment has a prefatory clause to talking about militia. But uh, the operative language is the one that says, uh, um, uh, talks about um, restriction of uh, um, the right to bear arms. Uh, same thing in the, in the takings clause. I think the, the part that says for public use is descriptive and not proscriptive. And the real punch is you get paid. The government takes your property, but you get money for it, money that you can then use to buy other property, send your kids to college, take that long-awaited European vacation, whatever you want to do with it. Next question. Judge Reinhardt, I'd like to ask you, what makes you and ju judges more generally, what, gives, what in the Constitution gives you the right to decide when society has changed rather than the people through the elected branches? Just our duty to interpret the Constitution. Uh, it's unfortunate that uh, the Constitution needs in interpretation, but it was written that way. Uh, that's our system. It was not, and I think it was wise, if we want to look at the intent or the meaning of the Constitution, uh, and we want to go back and look at the original decisions of Justice Marshall. Uh, it's been apparent from the day we adopted the Constitution that it was not self-interpreting or self-executing, uh, that it needed to be construed as time went by. And, uh, you know, and just as in the elective system, uh, you can't uh, put every public policy question uh, to the public and take a vote on should we raise this tax, should we lower this tax, uh, should we... Uh, Send, uh, have a date to withdraw troops? Uh, should we uh, raise the cap on Social Security? Uh, you know, why shouldn't the people decide all those questions? Uh, the, it, the, the country wouldn't function very well that way. Uh, you know, we have the initiative in California, and I think it's proved not to be a very good way to run the state. Uh, but if we tried to go to direct initiatives in uh, nationally on every issue that had to be decided by Congress, we wouldn't function well. And the same thing with uh, interpreting the Constitution. 
they the system uh, from the beginning has been that the the courts have to interpret the constitution and uh that's uh, the way it is it may be a better system maybe we ought to put every question that now goes to the supreme court to the public but i i don't think it would be very practical i don't think that was what was intended and i don't think it would be a good way to run a country Roger. Yes, uh, Judge Reinhardt, I'm uh, Roger Pilon with the Cato Institute. You spoke in the uh, outset of your remarks about the conflict between human rights and property rights as though they were ubiquitous. But as we know from cases like Lucas, the only reason you have this conflict is because legislatures are prone to give the public rights over what people previously thought were their rights. And you would have the court, as I understand it, bow out of this and essentially defer to the legislative branch to extinguish willy-nilly these property rights. How do you uh, justify that, given that the Constitution gives you the authority to say no to the legislature when it does violate these pre-existing rights by creating these new rights out of whole cloth? Well, you know, I don't really want to go into the, the details of I what... I noticed that. No, no. Uh, I, I, I don't want to go into the details of when the courts can determine that a uh, legislative action is arbitrary and capricious. We're not talking about uh, administrative law here. No, no, I'm talking about these kinds of cases, property cases. Uh, as, as you know, uh, the issue is now before the courts of whether, in addition to the takings, uh, there is also a, uh, you know, a constitutional right to invalidate these some of the property decisions uh, in legislative acts uh, on the grounds that they're arbitrary and capricious. Say uh, it's substantive due process. Go ahead, say yeah. it, Steve. Well, <laughs> it, 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 <laughs> I'm trying to avoid the issue because, as I said, the, Justice Kennedy, uh, in, the, in the, I don't remember which case it was recently, Lingle, Lingle yeah, uh, said that there is a remedy in the courts uh, when, when the legislative action is arbitrary and capricious. Uh, that case is now in front of our court, or that issue is now in front of our court. Uh, in fact, we just issued a decision which uh, is not final, and uh, we may all have to vote on. That's right. Uh, so I don't really want to get into that question of what the authority of the federal courts is to invalidate these legislative actions on the ground that they are, these takings are, may be arbitrary and capricious rather than simply a question of uh, just what Judge Kaczynski says. Uh, you take it and you pay for it. That, yeah, there's an English word for that. It's called theft. Yeah. Well, okay, we're going to have one more question. Oh, and I should quickly point out that case you're talking about, you don't have to vote on that. That's okay. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, one more question, and then there won't be enough time for any further questions. And then if we have it, 30 seconds left, we'll have some final remarks by our panelists. So one more question. Okay. Judge Reinhardt, you had uh, suggested a connection between private property rights and the system of slavery. And it caused you uh, to distinguish private property rights from individual rights, like personal freedom. Um, isn't it the case that... Under certainly the Lockean theory, classical liberal theory of private property rights, first and foremost, private property right is in oneself and one's own property, one's own labor. 
Uh, and as a result, it might be suggested, or I might suggest, that in fact the classical liberal tradition of private property undermined slavery rather than supported it. Well, that may be, but that was a debate uh, among the, those drawing up the Constitution, and that was a debate uh, up through the Civil War. Uh, the issue that was uh, advanced by those who favored slavery was that they had property rights. They may have been wrong, but what I say is that it has come up with some regularity in this country that when we have had rights of equality, individual liberty, all of those things, that the debate has been uh, that, no, we have property rights has been the other side. Uh, maybe they were wrong, but those are the debates we have had as we've tried to make progress in this country. Each time uh, the issue has been raised that we're infringing on property rights. I'd like to just have our panelists give some final thoughts. We have to clear out of the room because they need to clean up the lunch plates for the next uh, session. I was told that we must get out promptly by 1 o'clock. So. I'm going to cede my time to the audience. Okay. okay. I just have one other quote that I would uh, like to read from a 1922 Supreme Court decision, Pennsylvania Coal, which has been repeatedly reaffirmed the last time in Lingle, which was a unanimous decision, which says government hardly could go on if to some extent values incident to property could not be diminished without paying for every such change in the general law. Uh, that's uh, an observation by uh, all sides in the Supreme Court that we should keep in mind uh, as we discuss these absolutist views uh, of property. Uh, I am not uh, in any way opposed to property rights. I'm not sure I would agree with Judge Kuczynski that the only thing you have to do is pay for them. Uh, but I, I, I don't think these issues can be resolved uh, without the kind of normal balance we apply uh, to, in the law to most of the issues that confront us these days. And more and more, I think what we find, uh, that more and more we have difficulty in resolving issues, not only in the courts, but in political life, because they're not just how do you vindicate a right. That's a very easy question. Uh, the issues more and more are how do you balance these rights? How do you reconcile them? How do you resolve them? Uh, and how do you try to preserve, to the extent possible, liberty and security? How do you try to preserve, to the extent possible, property rights and individual rights and the public interest? Uh, I don't think we can resolve any of these questions by saying uh, property trumps all. Uh, or uh, even, and certainly we can't resolve it by saying security trumps all. Uh, all of these issues get, seem to me to be getting more and more difficult, require more and more judgment and more and more understanding of the need to try to accommodate conflicting interests and conflicting values. Thank you very much. Let's give a hand.